Welcome to Midweek, a place where we dive deep into Scripture. So grab your Bible, a pen, and a notebook, and get ready to study God's Word. All right, let's open up our Bibles to John chapter 14, and we're going to cover tonight verses 16 through, uh, let's see, through 31. Um, and what I want to do is, even though I ended up last time in verse 19 I want, of chapter 14, let me back up to chapter, uh, to verse 16 of chapter 14. I'm going to read verse 16, 17, 18, 19, and then I want to make, you know, quite a few uh, comments on those four verses. But chapter 14, verse 16, backing up again, let me read through 19. It says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. We know the helper is another title for the Holy Spirit. And we could really get off on that term right there, because we know in Genesis, this is quick, because it's not in my notes, it just popped in my head. Um, we know that when Adam gets a wife, she would be a what? A help, help me, that's right. And uh, the Hebrew word is, is, let me define it after I say it before you get angry with me. It's the word sucker, it's, but it's spelled S-U-C-C-O-U-R. And it's like S-O-S, send out sucker. It mean, literally means help. And it's the idea that uh, you're out at sea and your ship is sinking. Unless you get help, SOS, you're going down. And that's what a wife is. Without her, if you have a wife, without her, you're going down. And so you find out the Holy Spirit is a helper. And without the Holy Spirit, obviously, we New Testament believers, we're going down. Amen? We really, really need him. So now, verse 16, so helper, that he may be with you forever. And that is the spirit of truth. Now we find another term for him. He's the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Now, verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live that you uh, will live also. Now, I want you to look back. There's a few, there's multiple things I want to say here. But look back at verse 17, and it says there um, that um, he is the spirit of, uh, of truth. That's right. Now, as we study the scriptures, what are we learning? We're learning the? Truth. We're learning the truth. And as we learn the truth, we have now a decision to make in our everyday life. And we talked about suffering in the, in the pre-dialogue here, that we're going to suffer for certain things. Uh, for our faith, but we have an option now that I'm either going to be a dispenser of truth or I'm going to be a container of truth, right? And it really, in my opinion, it boils down to, am I going to be afraid to share the truth when, the tr- when, it, when it's truth time to share the truth? What, what's, what am I going to do in that moment? Now, I want you to think about this. <clears throat> if I do not share the truth as someone who has the truth of God's word, uh, if I don't do that, am I going to be true to myself? And the answer is what? The answer is no. I will not be true to myself if I don't share the truth when I have an opportunity to share the truth. Now, because the reason why many people will not speak up, and I know some of you are more timid than others. I'm a real, I know I'm a real strong, mouthy personality, so you know, I'm, I'm, I'll speak up more. I won't be as obnoxious as when I was younger, but I will I'll, I'll tell that line, but I want you to think about this. If I, you know, if I, if I don't want to share because of opposition, what's worth not sharing because of opposition or not sharing and then having to live with myself after that? What's, what's worth, the opposition or living with myself after not sharing the truth? What's the worst thing? 
It's literally just a question. How long does the opposition last? Not long, right? How long does it last if I don't share the truth in that moment? How long do I have to live with myself after that? A long time, huh? And so it's a lot easier just to share the truth than to keep it to myself and risk the opposition that's coming at me in that moment. And how many of you have had opposition before come at you? I mean, more and more in my life now when I share it, you get more pushback than you've ever got before. And honestly, you get a lot more questions than you ever got before. Has anyone noticed that one right there? And they're asking deliberate questions that as Christians, you and I should be at least be able to answer those questions to at least to a certain point. Amen to that one right there? And so we're these dispensers of truth in our life. Now, I want you to notice going back and then reflecting back about maybe about nine, eight, nine weeks ago, or maybe 11 weeks ago, but that is um, in, verse, uh, in verse 17 at the end, he says that this Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, he will be with you and then he'll be what? And then he'll be in you. Do you remember what I said in, in the Acts series about 11 weeks ago in that Acts series about these verses right here? You and I, um, we have multiple experiences with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of truth, the helper. Jesus tells the disciples that he'll be with you, and then he'll be what? And then he'll be in you. Now, when he's with you and I, and I believe there's three experiences of the Holy Spirit, and the first one is he's with you. Somebody shares Jesus with you. Somebody, other people share Jesus with you. And now the Holy Spirit, I like to call him the hound of heaven, he's bugging you now, right? He's not living in you, but he's there. He's like a little pebble in your shoe. You always feel him, don't you? And it's rattling around, rattling around because he's with you. And I, you fight him and you fight him because you don't want to be a Christian because you think, like I thought, he's going to take away all my fun. Anyone ever think that one before? That's what I thought it would be. They're going to ruin all my fun. And then I go from, uh, he's with me, and then I put my faith in Jesus for me, August 12, 1979, so I have him with me. Now he's in me. I'm sorry. I go from with me to in me. Second experience of the Holy Spirit. Now he lives in me. And in that moment, do you remember the moment you got saved? It was like almost like the light went on and you looked at life differently. Does anyone remember that? Because I remember that. It was just like, what just happened here? You know, I never looked at life this way. And now I look at life completely different. And my friends were shocked that I had changed drastically. I mean, a 180 degree change. I did not, I honestly did not want to do all the things that I wanted to do the day before. It was weird. And when my friends first saw me and they wanted to do something, I go, no, I don't do that. Don't do they were in shock. They were just in shock that I didn't want to do that anymore. But it was like, I had the Holy Spirit in me. But then, remember Acts chapter two, the empowering the Holy Spirit? Remember the disciples were already saved in John chapter 20. Remember that? Jesus breathed the Holy Spirit on them and they're born again. Remember that? So they're already born again there and then you got to go 50 days later, day of Pentecost, and now the Holy Spirit comes upon these same guys who already have the Spirit, already born again. Bam! The power of the Spirit of God comes upon their life and anyone can have that experience. And that experience is what gives us greater boldness in our life to share the gospel. By nature, I'm not as bold as people think. No, I'm not. But it's that empowering of the Spirit of God. And every morning of my life, I, I'm, I'm honest, I just say, God, forgive me my sins and fill me with the power again. And, give me, and I say, give me opportunity and give me that boldness to step through the door of opportunity when that happens. 
because it's not me. It's the empowering of the Spirit in me. Amen to that one right there? Now, in those three verses, look back at them. And another thing I want to point out is this. Um, it's in verse... What verse is it? Look at verse 16. He says, I will ask the what? The Father. Now, if you read your Bible, you know that uh, one of the things that Jesus has introduced title-wise, imagery-wise, is that God is a what? He's a father. You don't find that stuff before really Jesus. It fits really good, though, in that era of time, in our time, because in the Roman Empire at that time, the father, the pater, that he was the main focus of the family. And so understanding the father figure within that uh, empire, that was kind of an advantageous for Christianity to do that. It was a very brilliant move, I think, by Jesus. But let's take the imagery of father, okay? Because I think this is one of the big, big deals in, 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 uh, in reaching people for Jesus and helping people move along. And I, and I think we need to be aware of it. Now, you guys know my story. I don't need to rehearse it, but you know I grew up in an alcoholic zone, right? Anybody else? Grew up in an alcoholic zone? Okay. Four of us? Okay. Six of us? Okay. Seven of us? Okay. How many, how many, more, how many more takers? No, I'm just joking. There's 80 million of us in America, by the way. All the way from little kids to grown-ups, everything. There's 80 million of us in America like that. And we carry about 17, 18 symptoms. And they're all emotional, relational. And we're great at destroying relationships. We're, we're great at it. Because we learned everything wrong. And we watched everything wrong. So... I've worked for 33 years to try to change my life because of all the issues in my life. And, and by the way, just because your parent was, if your grandparent was, guess what? You're an adult child and alcoholic. Because if your parent didn't change, they pass it on to you. It's the relational emotional issues. And so these things are like cycles in, in people's lives. Now, I have been in ministry, pastoral ministry full-time for 30, 37 years. You think I've heard some stories? I've heard some of the ugliest things that people have told me across my desk. I've had people call me and say, can you come over? I need to talk to somebody. People would be in church. And they tell me some of the ugliest things. And you sit there and you just cannot believe. And many of these have to do with a father figure. And you just can't believe it. That, that this, a father figure would do that. Or many of it is there is no father figure in the home. And that's a big crisis in America. Our politicians have it completely wrong. The issue of a lot of the stuff that goes on in people's lives, why people are insane, basically, is because no father figure in the home. Now, if you think about that, and God the Father is a father. Somebody gets saved, and you tell them, this person who's come up with a father that was, either wasn't there or was just a mean cuss to them all the time or physically hurt them, and you tell them that God is a father, What's the image in their mind? It's a bad image, isn't it? And you, and you have to understand that and you have to realize that when you talk to people because you don't know who's got an image of a father in a very bad way. Now, one of my struggles is still, will God be there for me if I step out and take a risk? Will God be there for me? Where does that come from? He's a father. As an adult child and alcoholic, I grew up with abandonment issues, rejection issues. Will he be there for me? Because in an alcoholic home, there's emotional disconnection. There is not closeness, guys. 
And so you struggle with these issues, and they invade all parts of your life. And so whenever you minister to people, I mean, I know when I minister to people, they come and talk to me, I start to delve into the family structure. I want to know what that was like. And people invariably will always, oh, it was, you know, it was fine, it was good and everything. And then they, I get them to talk more and more and more. And then they start to tell me all the ugly stuff, and I, stop, I go, stop. You told me 10 minutes ago it was fine. Is that fine? And, in, and they're like in shock because they know they've been caught. And I go, and they go, no, no, it isn't. See, people will always try to tell you all the good stuff, which there probably was some good stuff, but they don't want to tell you the bad stuff that has affected them the way they are now. But we're living in a world where there's so many people that have a, 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 the image of, the, of a father is so off. Are you following me? And so when you bring God as a father into the, into the situation, instantly their image defaults, not to the scriptures, it defaults to what they grew up in. That's what God is like. They don't realize they're doing it, but they are doing it. It's the way they're viewing things. And so it has to happen. Let's go back to he will be with you, then he'll be in you. Remember that? So it has to happen. The change comes because everything was perverted in the garden. Because remember, Satan always goes after family first, does he not? He went after Adam and Eve in the relationship. And then chapter 4, he went after the family. Cain kills Abel. Remember that? So he always goes after family. And so the change doesn't come from the outside in. It comes from the inside out. Now, here's what I've noticed in my life. And it says, the Holy Spirit will be with you, then he'll be in you. That once he gets inside of me, I mean, he's got to come inside of me. Then he's got to get beneath, below all my presuppositions, all the lies I believed about relationships, about a father, about this. And as I start to study the word of God, what you're doing in your life, it starts to wash the clean of what a father really is all about. Amen to that one? And once that starts to happen in your life, there's two things that I've noticed in my life that should happen, I think, as a result of these scriptures. First off, there is identity. And this is, there's no notes on this yet. You get identity. The second thing you get is authority. Now, let me explain that. Identity is your personhood, is it not? Is it not? I have identity. I know who I am in God. I know how he's gifted me. I know what I'm supposed to do. And it's taken a lot of work to get there. So I have that, but I also have authority because I'm baptized in the Holy Spirit power. I carry the power of the Spirit of God in me. And so I carry these, these parts of my life right there. So I have personhood and I have power. See, there are just so many people and how many of you know you can sniff it out fast and some people can sniff it out quick and they can manipulate people. You can sniff out when there's a weak-willed person around you. Can you not? And some people who are ruthless and mean will always, can always tell when someone doesn't have identity and they don't have authority in their life and they get manipulated, they get pushed around, they can get talked in anything because they don't know how to stand up for themselves. Any amens on that one right there? And so when we come to Christ and the Spirit of God comes in our life and we're empowered and our mind is washed clean, He starts to give you personhood, identity. Nehemiah goes back and He rebuilds the wall, Right? The temple was already rebuilt. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit, but the wall of our personality has to be rebuilt, right? But he also gives us authority. Nehemiah asked for authority, letters of authority from the king. And so once you start to get this stuff, ain't nobody going to push you around verbally anymore. Nobody's going to talk you into stuff anymore that you know you should not be talked into because you carry identity. I know who I am, and that's just what it is. And you'll carry the authority of the Spirit of God. You know wherever you go that you're empowered by the Spirit of God, by the greatest power of the universe. Any amens on that one? And so as you get this stuff, as you understand all these things, it just revolutionizes your life. 
I just wish I could have understand it more and more and accepted it more and more when I was in my 20s and my, when I first got saved at 23. It took me years and years to understand and, and to face up to the things in my life and to heal up. But once it started to happen, it changed everything in my life. It changed it all. I, don't, I didn't walk around the way I used to walk around anymore. I had a different viewpoint on everything. So did that help anybody here this, tonight so far? Anybody raise your hand just so I know. Okay, good, good. Okay, so that was just all free stuff right there, all right? Now we're going to get into, into the, continue on. Now look at verse 20. Um, it says, uh, In that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Sounds like an old Peter Frampton song or something like that. Verse 21, for those of you who remember that. Verse 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them is, one who, is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will, dis- and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Hmm. Judas, not Iscariot. So there's another Judas in the disciples, okay? And Judas was a very common name. Just a very common name. Said to him, Lord... What then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? That's a good question, is it not? I mean, if Jesus has been talking about reaching the world and different things, you're going to disclose yourself to us but not to the world? That's a very good question. So what does Jesus say in verse 23? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. That's a big statement. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him, and make our abode with him. Okay. Judas asked the question. Okay, you're going to reveal yourself, you're going to abide with us, but you're not going to disclose yourself to the world. Jesus says, if anybody loves me, you know, and keeps my word, then I'll come and make the abode. Yeah, that's his answer. So what does that mean? I think what he's saying is this. Because Judas' question, legitimate question. Why won't you disclose yourself to the world? Okay. Let's go back to sharing your faith with somebody. Have you ever shared your faith and it's almost like there's a block wall there and they have no clue what you're talking about, right? Okay. When my wife makes me tacos, deep fried guacamole, hot sauce, hatch chilies, a whole shot, right? My mouth is watering just thinking about that. We have two dogs, Mila and Maisie. Anybody want Maisie? I'll give her away tonight. No, no. Mila will always stand there at the foot and she's looking at me like, I'm going to give her one of my tacos. Are you kidding me? There is no way you're getting one of my tacos. But she likes food, right? She's got a stomach. She's hungry. She likes food. And she, I could probably give her something in that taco, but do you think I'm going to give her some? There's no way. They're my tacos, all right? Now, let's say I took a, a beautiful a Rembrandt, okay? And I said, Maisie, I'm Mila, I said, isn't this a beautiful picture? Look at this picture. What would Mila do? If I put it on the floor, what would she do? Sniff it, lick it, bite it, <laughs> chew it up, right? But would she ever go, that's a beautiful picture. She would never do that. Why can't she do that? Because she's a dog. I'm a human. I can appreciate that. She's a dog. She moves by instinct. She's not at the same level as I am. She's not even the high. We are the highest created being. So there's a difference between Mila and me when it comes to that picture. That's no difference between you and I and a non-believer. We understand by revelation, we understand and accept the word of God. Our eyes have been opened. Have they not? Their eyes have not. The spirit may be with them, may be courting them, may be convicting them, but he's not in them yet. And once he's in them, then, oh yeah, now they see. And they, but until then, they're a natural thinker. 
Now think of that and think of the question Judas asked Jesus. Why aren't you disclosing yourself to the world and only to us? It's not that he's not so much disclosing to the world. It's because they don't love him and they don't love the word. So how can he really disclose himself to them fully when they don't accept the word and they don't even love him? They're natural thinkers. So they really cannot experience or accept those things. Does that make sense? It's not that he's being mean. He's just being obviously logical uh, uh, on the whole situation. Now, so here we go. Number one in your notes, if you're taking notes, and that's this. Jesus gives us conditions for abiding. He gives us conditions for abiding. Look at verse uh, 23 and 24. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, uh, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not, uh, is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Now, I want to make sure this. We know that God's love is unconditional, right? He just loves us unconditionally. You know, he loved us while we were yet sinners, etc., etc. But there are conditions here that Jesus lays out for him to come and abide. And they're right there. And what are the conditions? That we love God and we love his what? Love his word. Love God, love his word. But what does that mean to you and I? What does it mean to love God and love his word, which are the conditions for God to come and abide with us? Okay. In a relationship. In a relationship, do you try to find out what the person likes and dislikes? Do you pay attention to that? Four of you do, right? The rest of you don't, okay? So the rest of you just sabotage every relationship, all right? You find out what they like, right? Yes. But you also find out what they don't like, right? Yes. And to make the relationship grow, don't you try to do what they like? Give them the things they like? Yes. And you try to avoid the things they dislike, right? I mean, if you're trying to win the relationship, you're trying to get them to like you. So you want to do the things they like and avoid things they dislike. That way, the relationship continues and there's kind of an abiding thing and it grows. What's the difference between that and what Jesus said here? If, if, we, if we want to abide, if we want him to abide with us, he said it right there. You've got to love me and you've got to love my word. And when we love God's word, we find out in his word what he likes. And we find out what he doesn't like. And we do what he likes and we don't do what he doesn't like. And it's a pretty simple process, is it not? It's as simple as it gets. Now, number two in your notes. The Holy Spirit brings to our remembrance what we've read in Scripture. Now, we have talked about this before on Sunday mornings, but I want to go a little, a little wider on this one tonight. Look at verse 25 and 26, and it says this. These things I've spoken to you while abiding with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. It was uh, one of the messages we were talking about sharing the gospel in, in early on in Acts. And uh, I made the statement that what is installed can be louder? Recall. What's installed can be recalled. Jesus says he'll bring to our remembrance all that he said to these guys. So whenever I read the Bible, Whenever you read the Bible. Whenever you hear the Bible taught, you are now 
installing the scriptures into your mind, correct? Into your spirit. And once it's installed, the Holy Spirit can recall it, can he not? At any given time. So my wife and I, um, we're, the, other, we're, the other day, Olivia and I, we're, we're driving, and um, I think we're driving over Cahalco to go see our grandkids that live over Cahalco on the other side there, uh, uh, Lake Matthews Dam and stuff like that. So, And the song comes on the radio, and uh, it's, most of you will know this, um, you never close your eyes anymore. How many know that song? Yes. How many don't know that song? You better not raise your hand. Sylvia, you don't know that song? Oh, my gosh. Okay, stop. Put that on right now. I'm just joking. Okay, so it's on, and I like to sing and stuff like that. And I told Olivia this. I said, I think this song is 1964 or 1965. And she, of course, we live in the Google generation. So she, I'm driving, she looks it up right away. And it's 1965. And I told her, I said, I can remember being nine years old in the back seat of my mother's Plymouth Valiant, somewhere here on 2nd Street in Norco. They pulled into a store. They left the radio on while they went inside. And that radio was playing, you never close your eyes anymore. And I could remember in detail that night, 57 years ago. 57 years ago. Now, I know for whatever reason, Olivia says, how do you remember? I just, I don't know, I just remember stuff. But because that night happened and that song played and everything that was going on around me, I, it was installed in my mind. And, it, and it, I could recall it back. I could recall all the events of the moment as a nine-year-old kid, 57 years later, I could recall that thing. That's the same thing that happens with the scriptures. Haven't you ever been talking and scriptures come out of your mind? You're going, where'd that come from? Yes. Haven't you ever done that? Because at some point you installed that in your system, in, the, in, in, your, in your soul, in your spirit. And when, and when you need it, the spirit brings it all to your remembrance. Does he not? Now, let's take that idea and let's go even further because there, this question may be thrown at you at some point when you are sharing faith, when people are trying to get you to doubt that the scriptures could be correct and true. These guys walk with Jesus. Here's the second idea. Not, it's not a point. These guys walk with Jesus for three years. And he says that he's going to bring to their remembrance all that he said to them. Do you think he said a lot to them? You think he said more to them than we even have on written? We know that for a fact because we know the end of John where he says all the things that Jesus did, if they were written in books, all the libraries in the world couldn't even contain everything that he said and did. We know there was a lot. And so how in the world are they going to remember all the teaching, all these things? How, how am I going to remember all these things? Which leads us to a question. And this is a big question. How in the world could they remember all the things that happened that they wrote in these Gospels? Because that's a question somebody might ask you one day. Because here's why they're going to ask you. Matthew was written 50 to 60 AD. Mark was written 50 to 60 AD. Luke was written about 60 AD. John was written about 85, 90 AD. Now you take those years back up in time. Jesus crucified Scholars put him at 31 to 33 A.D., somewhere in there. 
Now, those are years that have gone by before it's ever written down in the original autograph, correct? So somebody's going to say to you, how could they remember all that stuff? You're going to tell me that they could remember and they're going to get it all right and down pat and we can trust what they, what they wrote down? I mean, what are you going to say to that, huh? Let me tell you what you say. There's two things you say. The first thing is this, is that the people back in that day, they're not like us. We Google it immediately, right? We don't have to remember anything. Not them. They were a generation of people in that time frame. Their memories and memorization was big to them. I mean, they could remember all kinds of things because this is something they had to practice on a regular daily basis. But the other side, so therefore they could remember these things. But the other side of it is, if there were things that happened that they possibly couldn't remember but did experience and he did say, we know that the Holy Spirit brings it all back to their memory and that's why they could record it and they could write it down. Amen? That's how they can remember everything. So you never ever leave out the supernatural when it comes to writing down the scriptures and being correct in what it says. So if anybody ever tosses the question at you, how could they remember those things? Those are your answers. They don't have to accept it. But it is the answer to the question right there. How could they remember these things? Now, number three in your notes, and that's this. The world has no peace and therefore cannot provide it. How many know you cannot give what you ain't got? The world has no peace and therefore cannot provide it. The world can never provide any peace. Look at verse 27. This is one of the famous statements of Jesus right here. He says, peace, I leave with you. My peace. Notice, it's his peace. I give to you, not as the world. In other words, not the world doesn't have it. It's my peace. The world, not as the world gives, do I give to you. I give you something different, he's saying. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. The world cannot give what it does not have. Okay, I got some questions. Now, let me go through all the questions and don't give me a rebuttal at all in your mind till I finish the questions, okay? Okay, here they come. We can have the peace of Jesus, yes or no? It's not a true question, okay? Don't go, I'm not sure. Yes, 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 okay. okay. Can a Christian at times feel upset, grieved, or distressed? Yeah. Is it wrong for Christians to feel upset, grieved, and distressed at times? No. Some Christians will probably tell you it's wrong. No, it's human. It's human. If you tell a Christian you shouldn't feel that way, uh, that's wrong to feel that way, what are you really telling them? You're wrong, you're unholy, you're a failure as a spiritual person. You're, all the, you're telling them everything the wrong way. Look back at chapter 13, verse... Um, Verse 21, about Jesus. When Jesus had said this, 1321, he became what? Louder? He became what? He's troubled in spirit. So, is Jesus distressed? You better believe he is. This is God in the flesh. And he's distressed. We know that he'll say in the garden, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. Now, that means... On the surface, everything going on, I can be pretty stressed out about stuff, correct? But that's that's my emotions, that's my thing. But in my spirit, I can have peace, can I not? Think of it like this. Let's say there's a submarine 
in the ocean, bad, bad. They're in the middle of a hurricane. And the, the waves are big and the, the submarine's all over. What does a submarine need to do to get out of all that? Just dive. Once it goes further down beneath the surface, is there any more hurricane? Is there any more, are there any more waves? They're there, but not for them. They're, because they've, divin, uh, they've dove deeper and deeper and deeper. And that's really what Christianity is. Are we going to go through things? Yeah. Is it going to be stressful? Yeah. Will, will I be at times kind of like, oh my gosh, what's going on? Yeah, but I've got to dive deeper and deeper and deeper like the submarine, correct? Because you see, Jesus gives me a peace not as the world gives to me, right? Now think about that. He gives me a peace not as the world gives to me. See, the very system, and by the world, it is the idea of the world system, its thinking, its processes, it, how, it, it, how it handles things. But the very system that you and I exist in, it does not have the ability to give me any peace whatsoever. And the very system we live in rejects the very one that could give them the peace. Correct? Correct? Okay, let me try it. Let me try to illustrate it in, in, in this way. Let's say we're all 10 years old. And our mom says, uh, I'm going to go to the store. There's ice cream in there, but you can't have that ice cream till after you eat dinner when I get back. And she leaves. But one of you in this room is a travieso, mischievous, okay? <laughs> and you're the instigator. And you get us all to go get that ice cream. And we all eat that ice cream. And we're having a good time, and we ate it all. Now, in that moment, once we finished, and we look at each other as 10-year-olds, and our mom's not home, do we want our mother to come home? Because what's going to happen? You're in trouble, huh? Because you're going to come, she's going to get you, man, for what you did. So we want her to stay away. Just stay away from us. The world system we live in, don't they look at God as some big ogre in the sky that's going to come and punish them? And by that very mentality, they push away the very person they could trust in and to bring them peace. Do they not? And therefore, by pushing them away, they trust in a very system that will never give them peace. Isn't that so? Isn't that so? I mean, it's a very simple, logical principle. They think God is a certain way. He's a father that's like, oh, no, I don't want him. And by pushing him away, I will trust in a system that will never give me the peace that I'm looking for in my life. It will never give me that peace. And that's the world system. And that's the way things work. Now, number four, and that's this. I can have peace because victory is assured. I can have peace because victory is assured. Now, let's look at verse um, 28 and 29. It says this. You heard that I said to you, I will go, I go away. And I will come to you if you love me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. Now I have told you because before it told you be, before it happens, so that when it happens, you may believe. Okay, so that when it happens, you may believe. Okay. Remember the greatest thing in life for us sports fans? when you finally had a VCR and you could record the game. Jeez. Remember that? Was that the greatest thing in life, wasn't it? And now we DVR it, right? Because we're so sophisticated, correct? But I remember when I could first do that and I would record the game. Now, tell me if some of you didn't do this or not. You recorded the game because you're going to watch it with your family or friends or whatever. But you cheated and you looked up the final score before the game started. Did you, how many did that? You've done that before. I did it all the time. 
Now, why would I do that? Because I want to know the final score. <laughs> it's just that simple. Because if I know the final score, will I be stressed out during the game? Not at all. My people next to me could be all stressed out, screaming at the TV, but I'm like, you poor fools. <laughs> but I know the final score because I cheated. And I'm watching the game, whether my team's winning or losing, I already know the final score. But if my team's winning, boy, I'm having a great time, huh? You know, but they're all stressed out because it's neck and neck. But I know the final score. And therefore, because I know the final score, I have peace in my life. And that's something that I think we need to always realize. Do we know the final score? We talked about suffering in our pregame, right, here? We talked about things could be getting worse for us as Christians. Did we not? But in the middle of all of it, don't we know the final score? Don't we know how it's all going to end? We do. We can just read the back of the book. We know how it's going to go. And so because we know that, we can have peace in the midst of all the tribulation, in the middle of all the trials, in the middle of everything going to happen, because we know the final score. Now, let me give you the last thing, and I think it's the best thing, and that's this. The secret of Christian victory is our love for God. Jesus spoke repeatedly about love for the Father, love for the Father in this chapter. But the secret of Christian victory is our love for God. Now look at verse 30 and 31. I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of the world is coming, and he has nothing in me. But so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. Get up, let us go from here. Now, when he says, let us go from here, now he moves from inside to outside. They're moving from the upper room where the Last Supper was, and now they're going to walk from that upper room down the Kidron Valley, up the Mount of Olives to the Garden of Gethsemane. It goes from inside to outside. So things change in the way he's going to instruct after this as we move to chapter 15 next week. But notice he says here, um, he says, but... Uh, he says in verse 31, I love the Father. You know, he never said that before. And it's the only time he ever says it. I love the Father. Why now? Why does he say it right now? I think if we look at everything he said in those two verses, and specifically a certain statement, we're going to find the secret to walking in victory. Question. At this moment in time, as he's leaving the upper room and he's going to walk to Gethsemane and that's where he's going to be arrested in a few hours, is it going to get bad for him? Is hell going to throw everything at him it possibly can? Oh, it's coming. And he knows it's coming. But he says, I love the Father. And now he's going to be able to, once he makes a statement, I love the Father, will he be able to demonstrate his love for the Father? Yes, he will. Because no matter what hell throws at him, no matter what they do to him, he's not going to yield to Satan for one second, is he? I mean, we've seen it before as we read the scriptures in the desert temptation. But the key secret in the whole thing is he says in verse 31, that, uh, or verse, uh, verse uh, 30, he says, the ruler of the world. Who's the ruler of the world? Satan. Satan. In case you didn't know that, he is the ruler of earth right now. He says, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one, 1 John 5, 19. It all does. But he says, the ruler of the world has nothing in me. 
So he says, I love the Father. And now comes the demonstration that I love the Father. That everything they throw at me, I'm not going to give in. I'm not going to say no. I'm not going to say time out. I've already proven it in the temptation in the desert when Satan showed him all the kingdoms of the world. says, all you have to do is bow down and worship me. I'll give you everything. Does he do it? No. He stays loyal to the Father and therefore chooses not that kingdom but allows God to glorify him. Now, here's the, here's the, here's the bottom line, I think. Our last thought. <clears throat> Jesus could continue and walk in holiness, facing all that suffering, experiencing all that torture, staying on track with the Father for one simple reason. I love the Father, and therefore Satan has no nothing in me. He's got nothing in me. See, the Christian victory is I don't give Satan an inch in my life. I give him nothing in my life. I don't give him room in my head. I give him nothing. And when he has nothing in me, I can continue to walk the way God wants me to walk and I can have victory and I can walk in holiness and I can walk in the way God wants me to walk no matter what this world throws at me. It's very simple, isn't it? He has nothing in me. I give no place whatsoever at all. And that's the secret to Christian victory. It's very simple, but it is very powerful. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word for giving us these eternal truths to help us navigate through our life in this fallen world. Thank you for the peace that you give us that is out of this world. Thank you that you're going to bring to our remembrance all the things that we've read in Scripture, the things we've been taught from Scripture. You'll bring it back because it's been installed. Thank you, Jesus, that we get to abide with you because we love you and we love your word. Thank you, Jesus, that we, as you begin to clean out our mind of old thoughts and wrong thinkings, that we now walk in a new identity and a new authority. We have a new personhood. We have a power in our life. Thank you for that. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we are dispensers of the truth. You're the spirit of truth, Holy Spirit. We're dispensers of that. Thank you for that. Thank you, Father. And so, Lord, I pray tonight we take these eternal truths with us. God, let it just stick to us spiritually. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.